Welcome to Generation Money. This is your host, David. And this episode is the second part of my interview with Dr. Andrew Bonnaruk, a professor of finance and the department head of finance at the University of Illinois at Chicago. If you missed the first part, go listen wherever you get your podcast. Anyhow, on to the interview. Could you tell people a bit about what you do as your day job? Okay, so I'm a professor of finance at the University of Illinois at Chicago. And my job can be split into three bulks, two pieces. So if you think about 100% of my time, I'm roughly broken into 40% I'm spending on teaching, 40% I'm spending on research, and 20% what it's called service. And I'm going to very briefly explain what it means. So teaching is obviously the most clear thing what I'm doing is, so I teach classes. I teach classes, we have a lot of students, in my department, we have close to 800 undergraduate students who are majoring in finance. And we also offer classes not only to finance students, but students from other departments like managerial studies or accounting who also take or either elective classes in our department or they have to take some classes for business. So this is what I teach and there's a variety of classes that I I teach, most recently I've been teaching behavioral finance, so the combination of psychology and finance. Second part is research. So I am a research faculty. That means I need to write academic papers. I need to write the research of how business works, how finance works. So this research is taking a lot of time and there's a lot, several pieces that goes to it. First of all, I need to be very familiar with what other people have done in this field. And secondly, I have to come up with some novel ideas, some interesting new ideas. So research means innovation, something new. I need to propose some interesting question and demonstrate it in many different ways that these questions can be answered and provide some interesting answer. So this is the second part. This is, again, probably 40% of my time. And finally, the last 20% of my time, what varies depending on, from obviously, from day to day, is what we call service. And service is, you have to sit on different committees about uh, students not being able to understand certain stuff or some uh, grievances regarding the, you know, grades and all this, or curriculum changes, or starting on, uh, you know, closing some different programs. That takes time, and this is something that we called a faculty administration. So, you know, we as professors, we are deciding what needs to be done. You said there are three things that you focus on are teaching, service, and then your research. Maybe a bit more specifically, what are some of the things that you have to do, maybe administrative work or how you have to prep before teaching, prep for your research, stuff like that? Okay, so let's talk about teaching. So teaching these days, again, once upon a time when there was no PowerPoint and there was no projectors, you know, teachers had to write on a blackboard or whiteboard, whatever that was. And so you basically have to keep your, you know, have some, maybe some hand notes, but you write on the board. These days, it's all PowerPoint or presentations. And so we have to prepare this. And so every lecture you go, it's all collected in, in a set of PowerPoint slides where you, you of course, you're going to talk. You've got, of course, you're going to talk not only what's on the slide, but you try to make your slides as self-explanatory as possible. So anyone who 
looks at them, could get a sense of what you're doing. And of course, look, think about this. I mean, a typical class is somewhere between 50 and one hour and 15 minutes. Try sitting 50 minutes. If the professor is just telling you all the same monotonous stuff, blah, 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 blah. You're going to fall asleep after five minutes. So you need to be not only a teacher, but you also need to be to some degree an entertainer. <laughs> so once in a while you have to find some appropriate joke or example or something that is going to kind of nudge your students to kind of refocus their attention again on what you do in class. So of course you can give them a quiz as well, just to see whether they are following or something like this. But by and large, your job as the teacher is to keep education in some ways entertaining and interesting. You know, sometimes you hear from the students, you know, oh, I don't like that instructor because he failed to make me interested. I don't like that kind of argument. I think that, you know, everyone should, this is not, a, entertainment is not the primary goal of education, but, you know, if you can combine both of the things, it's, it's better than if it's just on education alone. So that's one thing, you know, you have to prepare and preparing is, it's taking a lot of time. Oftentimes it's not about textbook. You, you're trying to combine what you have in textbook with what you have in the real life, you know, trying to bring the most recent events. And that requires you to, you know, read some newspapers, watch some videos, watch some news, you know, so occasionally I would bring some examples from the yesterday's financial markets you know, to, to uh, today's class so we can relate what we study. So keeps uh, students on the current on the what's going financial markets, keeps them interested so we could see the relevancy of what we do to our life. With respect to service, so again, I'm currently department head at University of Illinois, Chicago. So just before I started this uh, podcast with you, I was working on schedule for the fall of 2021. So we're only in end of January, right? But I already have to submit my fall schedule for 2020, for the fall. And the reason is uh, very simple. Students will start signing up for classes in April and they need to know what classes are available, what time and how. And this is a kind of coordination problem because every department submits its own schedule and, you know, there's kind of a little bit of uh, discussion, you know, who can offer which class where and then. So that's one thing in terms of service. Another thing is uh, we are trying to understand what students want. So for example, what kind of classes they like, what classes they don't like. And if they, if you see that, or not only them, but also what employers like, because it would be, I may want to teach you one thing, but if employer doesn't need it, but needs something different, I'm probably wasting your money and your time and kind of setting you back rather than kind of giving you some opportunity to be prepared for the you know, next big thing in your career. So we're talking to employers and trying to see what classes we should offer to our students. And we need to find someone who can teach that class and then prepare students for that. So that's a second thing you can, as a service, if you wish. And then we have also all sort of kind of mundane things like student complaints. Students like to complain. <laughs> and I don't know how it is in your high school, but in the college, students have a lot of different ways to complain. They can complain to instructors. They can complain to student services. Some of them write immediately to the president of the university or to the <laughs> provost. 
and then Provost send, uh, pushes the forward button and I receive this complaint. I have to deal with that. And every complaint, well, I have to provide some explanation what, you know, how I have addressed this. So it takes a bit of time. And again, on the research side, I just told you, you know, I'm kind of working on a couple of projects and I hope uh, I'm going to kind of get some, get something done in these times, these challenging times, but in a couple of months, hopefully I will have some new stuff too. Yeah, so as a teacher, I'm curious because what does the tenure mean for a professor and how does it impact their life? So as a prof when you finish a PhD program, you are joining the, again, in, in a field of economics or finance and business. You, you typically join the, you look for a job and see if, you're, if some university likes you and you like them. You join them as a, what's it called, assistant professor. Assistant professor is a term contract. So usually it's about six years. So there is a, what's called mid tenure evaluation review. So after three years, you are evaluated the first time. And if you're not performing according to expectations and expectations meaning you have to excel in both teaching and research, you may be let go. If you are doing fine, you have another three years. And after six years, after your, your contract is due. And then the university has to decide, are they going to keep you? And what they call grant you tenure, basically permanent employment, indefinite employment or they will have to let you go. They cannot roll you over for another six year contract. It basically is a decision time. So yes or no. And then they evaluate whole body of work that you have managed to produce. And this is a decision which both takes into account what you managed to achieve so far and also what they expect from you in the future. So you might have been a good researcher before, but when they see that your productivity is very likely to decline, they may say, well, thank you, but no, thank you. Okay. And so how do they evaluate you? Because obviously there is some degree of subjectivity in every decision that we have. So there's going to be basically all your colleagues, all you're going to, all your senior colleagues are going to review your package and you're going to make the decision, but they also will send what's they called evaluation letters to a bunch of professors, at other universities, and they, you're not supposed to know who they are, but they are supposed to be people in your field and they will evaluate how well you've done particular in research and what do they think about whether you have managed to demonstrate research progress and teaching skills. So there's a multi-layered evaluation. You are done, it's done at the level of your department then the level of your college and then the level of the university. And eventually the president is supposed, you know, not the president of the university. President may mean very, a uh, specific thing, of course, and the president of the university is supposed to approve it. So this is important because it guarantees your job security. If you are not uh, getting tenure, if not, they are not keeping you after six years, then uh, you will have to look for a different job. And as I said, American universities are placed in all, all, all over the map, and you may be living today in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, there is no job for you there. So you will have to go to Norman, Oklahoma or Clearwater, Oklahoma, or I don't know, many different places in the US I have never visited. 
Yeah. So on your other role that you just stepped into as the department head, you have to do a lot of organization skills as a part of that. What do you think are is necessary to be in your role? Is Do you need to have strong interpersonal skills or would you say organizational skills are more important? I think interpersonal skills are tremendously important. For all the, you know, mathematical background that I have, it's of a secondary important, I think, importance as, as, a, as a manager of the department. And I think the reason why our interpersonal skills are really important is you need to build trust. You need to build trust in your leadership. You need to build trust in what you're trying to achieve. Because a lot of decisions that are going to be made are going to be made by you alone. Some of them, of course, require you know, team consensus, but a lot of everyday decisions will be made by you alone. And you need to build trust of your colleagues that when they hear something new, this is not something they should be fearing. They need to be able to anticipate of what you are likely to do. And they need to also feel that you have their backs. Okay, so so, so they support. Uh, so you, they are being supported by you at all the time. And what I mean by that is, look, for example, and we going back to student complaints. Sometimes students complain because they got a bad grade. You know, you do, you don't blindly accept this complaint, and also you don't blindly back the instructor. But the, you want to be kind of build this environment where both parties believe that if you are going to look in this matter and you're going to evaluate it, it's going to be a fair, impartial decision, which is, you know, not subject to further any dispute or discussion. I think it's really important for you when you have interpersonal skills, again, to build the trust, to build also the kind of ex certain expectations in your behavior and stick with it so people can know what to expect from you. Any sort of continuity is really important for the functioning of, of, of any group of people. Okay. I guess as a final, one of two final thoughts. So overall, between your job as a professor and as the head of the department, you said as a professor and as a researcher, you would say having, especially now being able to code is a good skill to have. Overall, interpersonal skills are good to have. Are there any other skills that students can pick up if they're interested in this field? I think the more I work in, the, in, in my profession, I think writing skills are also very important. I think, again, there, we shouldn't really look at one-dimensional. Uh, at, you know, at our lives, at our careers, one-dimensional. Just being good in one thing does not have to be an excuse to renege on other things. So I keep saying, yes, we are in finance, but after all, we are all in marketing because we, no matter what we do, whether it's coding or whether this is, I don't know, engineering or being a doctor, after all, we'll have to communicate it to our peers. We'll have to explain what we do. And I think writing skills are really, really important because once you are moving away from the bottom level, very entry level position to some more of a managerial role. And this is 
it doesn't have to be too much you know you can, sometimes you can be a unit manager which is like you have two or three people who are below you okay you will have to write reports you'll have to write memos you will have to write different kind of notes to your supervisor and it's tremendously important to be good in explaining what you do as briefly as concisely as possible you know these days there's a lot of lot of information there's a lot a lot of things happening nobody has time to read lengthy long reports which are convoluted which are watered down learn to express your views clearly in a very short space. And I think this is one of the very important assets you may have is if you do something, be, to be able to explain something in a very short amount of time. Let me give you one example. When we're looking, when I was looking for my first job in 2005, you go through the interview process. When you walk into the room, you have half an hour to speak with professors from another school. And when I was going there, I was supposed to have what we called a five-minute speech, two-minute speech, and 30-second speech. And in 30 seconds, I was supposed to explain what I do in my research in a way that I define the problem, I know how to solve it, you know, how, how I solve it, and what I find it in 30 seconds. So to, in 30 seconds, tell only the most rele uh, relevant stuff and filter out all the unnecessary stuff. Now, suppose you have two minutes. You can add a little bit more, but not too much more. And still be right up to the point. Don't, you know, don't talk about something irrelevant. And then you have, again, five minutes. And there you can give a little bit more colorful details and so on. So when you are working on anything, school project, elevator pitch, if you get into with someone on the elevator, by the time you hit your floor, can you explain your problem? in such a way that the person get excited about what you do. I think it's really important. And as a final thing, what would you recommend for students who want to study economics? What would you recommend for them to do right now that you wish you would have done? I think, first of all, taking some basic steps in this field does not require a lot of effort. There are very easy to read basic economics books, but there's also what they call books on the personal finance. These books will be useful for you even if you will not proceed to become an economist or a finance person. It will help you to make your everyday financial decisions in a better way to save you some money to probably kind of you know, buy things better, invest better, things like this. But these books are very relevant. It's a very easy to, to follow. And they can, by reading these books, you can also understand is like, is it something which excites me or is it something that I will do if I have to, but no more than that. So I'm going to send you a couple of books like that after this podcast, if you, if you don't mind. So you may include it. So your listeners can, can see if they, again, these are not expensive books. The bunch of them are paperback on Amazon. And I think it, 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 they are really cool stuff. Some of the things you may want to read, there's kind of economics done a funny way. There are books called free economics. You might have heard about those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is done by uh, the University of Chicago professor, um, 
Stephen Levitt. And this is about talking about funny economics around us. I think this entertaining, this is easy to follow. And you can also like think about, okay, do I see myself doing something along those lines? Or, well, thank you, but no thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me. My pleasure. That's the end of the episode. Before you leave, if you're in high school and are interested in business, economics, and or entrepreneurship, please check out the Junior Economic Club, also known as JEC, at junioreconomicclub.org. Tyler and I are both members, and they organize amazing events where you can learn a lot and meet other like-minded students. If you're a current professional and would like to share your own experiences and tips, please contact us at david at junioreconomicclub.org or tyler at junioreconomicclub.org. Both emails will be linked down in the description below. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast or a topic, please let us know. We would love to hear your thoughts. Anyhow, that's all for now. See you next time.